consumer is at the center of everything we do. This has become a mantra of healthcare enterprises today, as patients are encouraged to shop around and embrace traditional consumer habits for their healthcare needs. But how real is consumerism? That is the discussion on today's episode of the High Five Podcast. Welcome, I'm Mindy McGrath, and I'm joined by my friends, colleagues, and fellow healthcare industry enthusiasts, Ryan Hummel, Mike Catone, and our guest, health plan advisor for Dynamic, Kristen Sherman. In today's episode, we'll break down the evolving role patients as consumers play in the healthcare market and how healthcare enterprises consider the unique aspects of consumerism in the industry. And as always, stay tuned for the end of the show's parting thoughts, that thing that we have either heard, read, or seen that we'd like to share with you. Hey, everybody. Just a reminder that the High Five Podcast here Dynamic is our take on specific healthcare industry topics that are real, relevant, and worth discussing. So how is everyone doing today? Uh, I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me uh, come back and, and talk with all of you, especially about such a great topic like consumerism. I know. Well, we love having you on the show. I love being here. It's mutual. Exactly. How about uh, you, Ry? I'm doing great. Yeah. And I love Kristen's cross-sector take on a lot of these topics, so I'm ready to get going. I'm always excited to see what the role the patient is playing in healthcare and how it's changing. So I'm pumped for this one. Cool. And just to top it all off, we also opened the NFL season recently, and we sure did. I don't know, guys. Do we think Eagles might be repeat? If you're a real Eagles fan, you refuse to answer that question because it just puts out a vibe that we all just need to manage. Yes. So while last night was a very encouraging game, I just, as a true Eagles fan, I just take it moment by moment. One game at a time. One game at a time. I'm going to bask in the glory of last year and just let the season play out. That's right. That's they have a, great a pass. Idea. They have a pass for me this year, so it's all good. Okay. So let's jump into our discussion today around this whole idea of the patient as a consumer or, you know, what some of the industry are really calling the empowered consumer. Um, so I think one of, most, of the most noted transformations, and we've talked about this in other episodes of High Five, is how the current healthcare landscape is really almost like rallying around this idea of patients and their growing engagement in their healthcare decisions and also their growing responsibility when it comes to footing the bill for their healthcare services. So I, you know, as we were starting to to create this episode, I actually came across a really interesting um, publication from the Henry J. Fi uh, Kaiser Foundation. And I just want to read you guys an excerpt and ask you to just react to it. Um, so in this this report that the Kaiser Foundation issued, it basically found that the average deductible for employees with employer-sponsored insurance has grown by more than 120% over a 10-year period, and that consumers now directly control, I think it was somewhere in the neighborhood of about $330 billion annually in terms of out-of-pocket spend. I know that seems like small potatoes, right, when we're talking about a $2 trillion industry, but the growth tra trajectory that was um, included in this report really implies that this increased amount of responsibility for medical costs is not only coming directly from the patient's wallet, but that that trend of growth is going to continue. Um, so just reading that piece of it, how do you react to that? What are your thoughts? Well, Mindy... Uh I think if you'd ask anyone off 
the street, they would not think that the 120% increase is small potatoes. So I think it is a, a, a impactful number that you brought forth, but it comes with this kind of assumption or it indicates that there's this prevailing belief that now consumers or, or patients, and we'll talk about the title, that there's an increasing cost-sharing element or that with more risk-sharing, and we've talked about risk-sharing uh, in past podcasts as well, uh, will create a more engaged, you, you mentioned the word empowered, but an engaged customer or a more efficient customer um, in the healthcare setting um, and getting them the best value by taking kind of the extra step that they believe comparing costs will do when they, when they need to seek health and wellness. Um, it's a real intriguing topic to debate that we've debated many times about this, whether an individual is actually a patient, uh, whether they are a patient consumer, or whether they are, in fact, a true consumer of something in this industry. And what should we call individuals who receive medical care? Are they patients, the traditional term for anyone receiving medical attention? Or are they consumers? Or should we even care what we call them? Well, yeah, and I think that um, it really does depend on the circumstances. Um, I would say, or I would put out there, that patients and consumers are really not interchangeable, um, but an individual could be both, both a patient and a consumer at different points in their life. Mm -hmm. I think it largely depends on things like health status, um, their degree of health literacy, um, and a, a powerful enabler to anybody um, as a consumer. Um, but I think as your health status changes, as, as all of health does, um, if you are, if you are truly sick, um, and you are a patient, you are probably not in the frame of mind that you would need to be in um, to be a true consumer. Right. And you know what's interesting to me? Like you think about just the word consumer. So as I was thinking about this on the way into work today, I was like, it'd be interesting to place a little word association because we are consumers in our everyday life and almost every other aspect of our life. So, you know, when I use the term consumer, just generally speaking, what words come to mind that you associate with that term? Yeah, I mean, I would go with um, words like convenience, uh, transparency, personalization, um, clearly defined prices. Uh, another great word would be choice. And I think there's something about like serving customers. That's something that's key when I hear consumers. It's like there's someone who's serving uh, the need of, of the person who's actually going out and searching for this service. There's a lot more control and autonomy when you hear consumer. You really think it's a, a self-directed, uh, a self-directed decision-making process. And there's something about negotiating, and that's maybe that's negotiating the value or or the payment that you're actually willing to make. And you develop certain attitudes and preferences as a consumer. And it's really interesting to think of how these large healthcare enterprises that need to service a, a patient population how how they're going to adapt to thousands of different behaviors and preferences among their populations. Yeah, and I, and I think those are all great words when Mindy asked the question, a word that we associate the word consumer, so we're going to make an ism out of it and maybe get a shared definition that we can agree upon for the rest of the, the rest of the show. So Kristen, I'd love to get your take on this, 
that um, you know there are probably several ways to define it, but based on some of the words that we used, maybe we can define consumerism in healthcare as a movement that advocates patients' improvement and involvement in their own healthcare decision. Um, this this shared definition also implies that patients um, make savvy decisions about their health. Um, they they perform comparative shopping. And in turn, there are significantly higher expectations in terms of the experience that he or she is having um, from a healthcare organization. And, and kind of from that shared definition that I just gave you, I guess it would be incumbent then on those healthcare organizations or systems to offer service choice, uh, greater convenience, that was the word that you used, Kristen, better quality and affordable solutions. So how did we do? Yeah, I mean, it seems like a reasonable definition. And, and let's talk about what is truly driving the idea of an empowered patient becoming a consumer. Um, a lot of this is really around cost. Um, previously, let's say and call them passive. So passive patients um, had health care done to them mm -hmm. from doctors. Um, but they are being viewed as empowered consumers due in large part uh, to the swing in the financial burden uh, to their personal wallet. Um, so with that money shift, consumers search for and, and expect greater value and, and quality of service. Um, they're expecting timely and convenient care um, and an outstanding experience uh, from, a, from a trusted um, entity. And with that, um, I think it does seem like a reasonable definition. So do you guys think that consumerism is really real? and able to actually take root in the healthcare system? I mean, it's been used pretty commonly across the system right now, but I find that you know we have some folks still referring to people as patients, but consumerism is a big trend that they're identifying. So I'm just curious from your take, like how real is consumerism in healthcare markets today? Well, I think there's good momentum. Mindy, I think that the concept of consumerism in healthcare is ripping from the pages of the strategy of a lot of our, a lot of companies that we're seeing entering into the industry, companies like Amazon, Costco, Berkshire Hathaway, non-healthcare companies that have made a name for themselves as consumer-based firms and conglomerates. So there's some big moves that they're making in the healthcare industry that allows us to actually come to fruition, I believe. And by most indicators, healthcare consumerism is rapidly becoming a top priority for these healthcare enterprises as well. Uh, I think we all have seen kind of this aspirational dream that many firms um, have in the idea of healthcare being based on a premise that patients are more accountable for these rising healthcare costs. And in that in tune will make them consumers, will raise the quality of care, and then will also somehow lower costs. And I think that is an idealistic, if not smart vision, and the idea is there. The one caveat that I have is that the healthcare systems have never been structured to answer the demands of a true customer. So right now it's very difficult for patients to be savvy in this market, which is a key component of them to become a consumer. Yeah, I completely agree, Ryan. Um, and I think that 
you know, although many would describe consumerism and healthcare as, as slow to grow, um, that there are pockets, right, where uh, it has taken hold. So if you look uh, at the growth of retail clinics and urgent care and telehealth, um, convenience has become a new currency um, in the healthcare market. For healthcare enterprises, consumerism is driving part of how they're positioning themselves to compete uh, for the hearts and the minds of, of the end user, really. Um, it's a it's a real issue, um, but it will not dominate every single decision because if I'm in a, an emergency situation, I'm probably not going to have my consumer hat on um, thinking about, you know, price and convenience. I'm going to follow my human instinct and get to an ER. Yeah, and we just saw that recently in headline news about that gentleman, I think he was down in Texas or Arizona, who had a heart attack and his neighbor drove him to the nearest ER, and he ended up with this massive bill, right? right. And so the last thing he was thinking about as he was clutching his chest was, hey, is, get me to the urgent care clinic. Right. I think it's going to be more price savvy. Right, okay. right, exactly. So I, and, you know, I do think that um, you're right. There's like opportunity there, right, for for healthcare enterprises also, if they really are competing for the hearts and minds of people, to think about what some of those headlines result in mm -hmm. when it comes to actually really thinking about how consumerism fits into the mold of how they treat people and their preferences and their behaviors and just the total experience. Yeah, and, I, and Mindy, it's a great story. I think we all have read that recently. It's just the paradox is the choices that these patients are making when uh, actually not making the choices when they're when they're forced to go to someplace someplace like an ER or an ED. Those are ostensibly the most expensive components of the healthcare system. So that's the it's, irony. It's of the it. most expensive way to enter the healthcare system. That's right. Well, speaking of which, you know, this big trend of consumerism, Mike, um, you know, is really interesting as we've alluded to. But the real question or the big debate is. Um, kind of at a higher level of whether patients can actually be consumers in this crazy complex U.S. Healthcare, healthcare system. So I'd love your take. Well, there's nothing more that Americans like than hunting for a good deal. And you're talking about buying a jar of salsa, negotiating down the price of a car, or maybe even hand-me-down dishes that you see at a yard sale. Consumers are really looking for the best price that they can get uh, in as many places as they can look for it. And the head of Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, Seema Verma, agrees with this. She said Americans are active shoppers. She shared in an interview with Real Clear Health that she doesn't believe that healthcare is too unique to prevent consumerism and that CMS will use as many levers as they can to improve transparency and information to activate better consumerism activity. She cites a recent study that shows that giving people tools to shop for healthcare by price actually reduces their cost without any evidence of a decrease in quality. For instance, in one of the largest studies published by JAMA, which focused on over 500,000 patients insured by 18 employers that provided price transparency tools, they found that an individual's use of these tools was associated with lower payments for clinical services studies. In addition to convenience, transparency obviously seems like one element that really needs to be addressed if the industry is going to create a more consumer-centric model. It seems overly simplistic. But ultimately, the healthcare system must orient toward consumer centricity, and that might take some time. I think we need to look outside of the healthcare industry to start to look at some of the other tools that industries outside of healthcare have used to empower consumers, whether that's price comparing on Amazon 
or um, just displaying different availability options uh, based on what is in a patient's geography and, and really giving them the understanding that they have the power to, to make some of these choices to reduce their cost, the cost to the system, uh, and also receive adequate care. So I'm hearing from you guys that consumerism is real, uh, but that it's unique in the healthcare industry. And I want to probe a little bit around what makes it so unique in healthcare. Yeah, so, so while I understand the point that CMS director Seema Verma was making, um, her argument is overly simplistic um, because the healthcare industry structure, just going back to something that Ryan said a few minutes ago, it was just never really built right. to be uh, consumer-oriented. And, and that in itself is what makes it unique. Um, and let's, let's start by laying out a common consumerism experience as, as a baseline. And, and Mike, I think you were going along the same line here. So if you take an experience like buying a car, which many of us can relate to, um, as part of that experience, I, I know the price up front. I can even negotiate it. I can shop uh, different dealerships. I can make trade-offs on quality uh, based on options uh, versus price. I'm in control of what options I choose and can make the price go up. Uh, I don't buy a car and then get billed for it later. Um, that would be completely absurd. Um, but except that is what happens in healthcare. Um, also, I have a choice on when I buy a car. Um, which is not the case in healthcare. For someone that gets admitted through an ER, they don't have a timetable um, and they don't have the ability to to look at those choices in advance. It, it really makes me think of a, a general store. If you think about old Western movies, it, they would go to the general store and they would scan the shelves and they would look at products. And you rarely saw prices on the shelves for those products. And you went up to the counter and you were told the price. And you didn't really have an option because it was the only store in town. So I think we've moved past general stores in retail. You can go out to any store and see the price before you buy it and shop for the best deal. And I think we're still dealing with a general store model in some places in healthcare where patients do not have, consumers do not have the choice to actually understand what they're paying or what their options are. Yeah. So uh, along those same lines, I, I do want to you know point out that. Healthcare is is certainly a different level of necessity, right? So than buying a car or, or going to the general store, but the, but there are surely elements in there that need to carry over to support true consumerism, um, and that and that really comes from end users and and the industry. Yeah, and I think the other aspects that make it unique is just think about how many decision makers and influencers there are in the actual buying and utilization decision. So just talk about employer-sponsored care, right? Like, yes, I'm the, the patient slash end user in all of this, but along the way, I have my employer who is actually subsidizing part of the cost. I have um, health plan who's deciding which doctors and uh, are going to be in the network versus out. And then you have PBMs that are deciding which drugs you receive access to and, and receive coverage for. So, there are so many decision makers, I think, that control aspects of um, coverage and access and reimbursement and cost. That also really muddies the water a lot when you think about how 
somebody can act as a consumer in this industry. And the other thing that I think is also unique is just the knowledge that imbalance that exists. So in other examples that we've talked about, I mean, there's some, you know, greater knowledge about, you know, the research that you do into cars. We're talking about clinical knowledge here. And as, as, um, as much as we can research a certain condition that we may have or a disease state, I mean, we're still really trusting somebody else to help us make the decisions on what we need to do to treat this condition that we're living with, which I think creates an imbalance. And so leverage is the wrong word, but I think it makes it harder to be a consumer when you have to put so much more faith in somebody else to help you make those decisions. And you're really quite vulnerable mm-hmm. at that point, too. It's it's not just that the other person has more knowledge. Um, you are also, in that moment, an extremely vulnerable person um, and, and are really looking at that person as, as, a, as a trusted source. Yeah. And the other thing that I, I think also has contributed to consumerism being rather difficult is while the industry is making progress with transparency and better tools to help individuals figure out what something costs because the claims process is just so backwards. Um, It's still not there yet. And, you know, a lot of research uh, suggests that even with the tools that are out and available to individuals today, they're not comprehensive enough. They may not go into a level of detail that really helps to inform somebody's decision-making when it comes to determining whether they're going to utilize healthcare services or not. I think something that's unique to healthcare is, unlike other industries, there are very few healthcare enterprises that are competing on price. That's so, that's so right. I mean, you're so right on that one. Like, think about it. All the advertisements that you see for healthcare, is anybody talking about the price of their product? No one. I, I think I think the obfuscation of price is intentional to ensure that it doesn't drive providers and patients and health systems away from a certain treatment or a certain type of surgery. I, I think that because the, there's so much obscurity and confusion in how the billing process, billing and claims process works, and it takes such a long time and through so many intermediary steps for that final cost to be calculated, that it can't be top of mind for anyone and no one's really seeing you that sticker quote price. It. Right. You don't know who's insuring that individual. So how could you quote a price? Right. right. And you never know what yeah, right. It, is it list price? I mean everybody pays a different price depending on their coverage and who's covering them and and what the negotiated contract is between a payer and a provider or a payer and a, a pharma company. So and it's interesting to me, though, because it seems like there could be opportunity there. And if you think about it, the the area in what I would argue that the it's most in the public eye is around branded prescription drugs versus generic prescription drugs. Even even the slight understanding of the disparity in those causes huge public uproar. That that that's the one thing that is really driving uh, policymakers and and citizens to really say that there's a problem here; it needs to be fixed. So I can't even imagine what it would be like if all of the pricing disparities were made clear throughout the entire ecosystem. And, and it's such a complex interwoven system that that's just one piece of it, and that seems to cause the the, the public outcry or the, or the ire. And it's it's just one piece of a very complex puzzle. But I, I think theoretically, the ideal kind of aspirational vision around consumerism would be kind of what we've described about other industries is that these individuals would have the information needed to make an informed decision about the utilization of these healthcare services. 
they would have clarity on pricing before they act. Big asterisk around pricing. We talked substantially about that, right? Having expectations met or even exceeded in some cases, because in other industries that happens often. Um, also in terms of not just service levels, but actually outcomes. You know, the actual outcome of what we are getting or receiving as individuals. But I think the thing that makes this system unique, and, and I don't know if it's unique or we just haven't um, addressed them in the right way, is these barriers that we keep mentioning mm -hmm. for the success. Right. So when we talk about consumerism in general, I mean, my question is um, just based on the work that we're doing and, and seeing with clients in the industry, has the act of consumerism made a difference yet? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of work left uh, to do across the industry to really empower consumers. But there, but patient centricity has shifted healthcare in the right direction. Uh, for example, uh, patients and their caregivers are certainly more informed today than they were 20 years ago. Um, there is more data available to make informed healthcare choices. Uh, just a few years ago, patients seeking information about a about a doctor or a hospital were able to find only the most basic data, uh, leaving them uh, to base their treatment um, decisions on the few factors they could um, understand the most, uh, their insurance coverage and, and the availability of the care that they need. Uh, now many of those patients are, are able to access much more detailed information about important factors such as the physician's experience uh, with a particular procedure or a hospital's uh, complication and readmission rates. Um, and then thirdly, I'd say that the, their feedback to facilities and doctors has begun to change practices um, and workflow in hospitals. So there's a lot of patient surveying, and those surveys are taken extremely seriously. Um, and there are entire movements and initiatives that um, health systems undertake in the name of, of reacting to that feedback. That's, that, those are great points, Kristen. And you've highlighted uh, some evidence and some anecdotes that prove that there is a difference being made from a consumerism perspective. But we also are seeing, and we've mentioned this before, at a macro level, that costs are still not coming down. We talked a little bit about price, but I'm talking about cost. And individuals are still finding that there are still limits on how much they can play the savvy consumer, which is a big element of being a part of the consumerism. Right. <laughs> um, despite kind of growing access that you mentioned around quality metrics, rankings, there are still holes in the data that make it difficult to discern meaningful differences among providers. And, and you've mentioned kind of the patient uh, accessibility to data. You know, we find that there are, there are data accessibility problems at the provider and, 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 and hospital lens as well, which makes it even more difficult mm -hmm. for patients to get information. So although I would say that consumerism is not at the level of other industries, and we've kind of proven that point, I do believe that we could confidently say that s there are savvy customers and consumers and it's moving in the right direction and it's at least changing the conversations that we're having in this industry. But let's also not pretend that everybody's a willing consumer. Yeah. There are many who accept the fact that they do have to be smarter and more savvy, but they don't like it. So there is a resistance to this change. There is a, um, a shared belief um, that they should be given the information from their doctor. They shouldn't have to research it on their own. And um, I feel like some of the resistance to change in consumerism, 
consumerism is, and maybe rightfully so, coming from the consumer or patient themselves, who just is, you know, not... Um, Their mindset isn't there yet, yeah, right? Yeah. Well, and, and if they're paying more than they were yesterday, they would expect more from the care that they're receiving. So so why shouldn't they feel that way, right? Yeah, they, they don't want to think about it yeah. necessarily. Exactly. Well, it was interesting because I was telling Ryan the other day that I, I went to get a routine test done. And as I was registering for the test, they basically gave me this printout and said, oh, here's what your co-insurance will be. We ran your benefits prior to you coming in. So here's what it's going to cost. And I already done, had done a little bit of poking around on our health plan site. So I knew, generally speaking, that this was the most affordable place to go to. But I was actually delightfully surprised to see that I wasn't hit with any sort of a surprise bill on the back end. And the the person that was registering me said, yeah, this is a new initiative that we're starting because we're really starting to recognize people are asking our physicians what it's going to cost to do something. And it's actually taking more time during the visit because everything that the physician wants to do, somebody is saying, well, well how much is that going to cost? That just seems um, like a small story that has enormous impact. Just the fact that there are more and more patients asking their providers, how much is this going to cost? which I don't believe was a prevailing theme for generations is huge. Right. But I think what it also suggests, like, and I want to switch gears a little bit just to wrap this up, but when we discuss consumerism from a healthcare organization perspective, I mean, think about how the mindset has to shift, right? And this is just one story with like a physician having to know what something may cost because they're being asked that during an interaction. But how do healthcare organizations as a whole, start to respond to this emerging trend that we're seeing around the empowered patient or the empowered consumer? I think healthcare organizations need to really understand that there are four key areas that they have to deliver in to be able to effectively engage these consumers. They need to know consumers and what drives their behaviors and really get into the details to understand their beliefs, preferences, and actions. They need to guide consumers toward the information that they need to make those better decisions. They need to engage consumers to prepare, to help them prepare for and enable behavior change. This might be one of the most challenging because it requires a, a high level of trust, and trust scores in the health industry are just not very high. And finally, they need to inspire consumers to build loyalty. This is an area that retail has done really well, and the healthcare industry could really borrow some of these practices. And Kristen, like just as a side point to that, so I think that's that makes a lot of sense, right? Like you really need to dive in deep and be committed to not just understanding at the peripheral level what preferences mean, but really getting into beliefs and those types of things. You mentioned something earlier that just resonated with me around just the way that the claims process works, right? And think about some of just the fundamental operational aspects of how the healthcare system is structured today, which is not oriented towards consumer types of demands and preferences and behaviors. I mean, think about all the change that will have to go on operationally that spans across sectors. It's not one company. It's the system as a whole needs to really reorient the way things are done if they expect consumerism, I think, to really take hold. Absolutely, and we talk a lot about aligned incentives, um, and I think speaking to that that structural component that you're talking about, 
Um, it's it's not just the operational aspects of it. It's also the incentives that would need to uh, support those types of changes as well. For sure. And, you know, I think one other point I'll make, and it's a little bit about segmentation, if you will, you know, many other non-healthcare industry firms do a great job considering generationally what their consumers want. And so I believe for consumerism to continue this momentum, <coughs> healthcare organizations are really going to need to consider generations as well. And we've seen early studies that, that point to the way and the effects that, say, millennials or extennials operate and, and some of the value, and it's, it's markedly different than their older brethren, like myself, put on convenience, <laughs> accessible information, and even alternative care, and, and their, their attention and, and focus on data is, is second to none. So the question for these enterprises and healthcare industry as a whole is, they're gonna have to have a segmented consumerism strategy as well to succeed. Yeah, I mean, healthcare organizations need to get on board, right, uh, by developing better engagement through the channels that consumers prefer. Um, and healthcare experiences that are tailored uh, to a consumer's individual needs and preferences, um, much to what you're saying about the, the generational gaps. Um, the experience that consumers want only partially exists today, and there is significant opportunity to improve the efforts um, around consumerism. I will say that I think healthcare needs to make change towards consumerism where it can, when it can. Mm -hmm. And that's why a lot of this is feeling so iterative and maybe not holistic, because there's just small things that need to happen in pockets where change can happen. Mm -hmm. And I think to go back to Ryan's point, in those little stories that uh, Mindy sort of alluded to of, uh, of patients starting to ask for prices and starting to turn into consumers at the point of care, I think those are, those are gonna force those changes. Well said, guys. So, um, as always, we could talk about this a lot longer, but we need to wrap up the segment and move on to our parting thought. I'm going to hand the mic over to Catone to start us off. Thank you, Mindy. Uh, I was recently reading an article about a, a hearing aid company that is not complacent with their current state of business. They realize that there's a lot of ways to innovate uh, this device that only only a very small portion of the affected population with hearing loss actually has a hearing aid, and there are a lot of barriers to that. Um, some include price um, and actually getting tested and diagnosed by an audiologist, and it's, it's an expensive proposition. So they're working on a hearing aid that, that they'd like to deliver over-the-counter for mild hearing loss, but it also has a lot of functionality that a traditional hearing aid doesn't have. It has uh, microphones that are paired with a companion app that are hoping to enable real-time language translation. It tracks steps of the users. It records the amount of time that the users spend in conversation versus in isolation. And it's really a fascinating way to look at this device that millions of people have and millions of more people probably need and figuring out how to extend that device and add on capability. Uh, and I think that's something we're gonna see a lot in, in the healthcare space. And when you think about things like the Apple Watch trying to incorporate a continuous glucose monitor, they've already solved the problem of getting a product in someone's hands. How do you make that product do even more, do the most it possibly can to contribute to people's lives. And I just thought it was a really fascinating uh, story. That's interesting. Yeah, I would say um, my parting thought would be around some of the work that I've had the opportunity to do 
uh, while at Dynamic partnering with uh, Medicaid organizations, it brings up a, a whole host of thoughts around socioeconomic factors um, and things that we didn't have an opportunity to really scratch the surface of today, uh, but much in align to what you were saying about millennials, um, there, there is another way that the population needs to be looked at. And uh, my parting thought would be for organizations to really think about the channels that are realistic, the engagement that is realistic, and the language that needs to partner with those um, to, to reach audiences um, and populations of people that are, that are quite large um, in the U.S. So um, I would say that that's an area that there's just a lot more work to do, but is rich with opportunity. Yeah, these are great. I, I'm actually going to uh, kind of a, take a step away from healthcare in general and then bring it back to healthcare, I promise. But uh, just this week, LinkedIn released their 2018 top 50 startup companies. And they have a pretty rigid uh, uh, criteria to, to measure. And some of the criteria include um, privately being privately held, over 50 employees. And then they measure uh, growth from an employee perspective, engagement from a consumer, uh, kind of hits on LinkedIn. It's a pretty cool way of looking at it. And I went through the top 50 hoping and wanted to parse through all the healthcare companies that were made the list, and there was one. And I was disappointed by that because I thought there would be more, just knowing how gigantic the healthcare industry is and, and how we, we live it, sleep it, breathe it every day. And I just thought there'd be more than one healthcare. There was automotive and supply chain startups. Lyft, of course, was number one, followed closely by Halo Top ice cream. Um, interesting dynamic between those two. But uh, what I did find as a prevailing theme between a lot of these companies was the idea of they they're, they're, found their niche in consumerism and they, they connect with their customers in a way that's unique. And so I'm hopeful that in 2019, there's a few more healthcare companies on there to help uh, bolster this momentum in consumerism. Great. Well, I'm going to tie into both uh, consumerism and to Kristen's point about Medicaid, I'm going to talk a little bit about Medicare. So I recently read uh, this a summary, could not get through the whole bill, of the Choose Medicare Act that two senators introduced earlier this year. And it intrigues me as this whole concept of Medicare for all intrigues me because Medicare is a very popular program with members that are part of it. It typically receives very positive reviews in terms of how it is working for seniors um, that are enrolled, and they believe that they have good coverage, they have great choice, and without forcing government-run health care on Americans, which is not always popular, um, these senators introduced this bill that would basically create another part to Medicare, Medicare Part E. We have all the alphabet letters in Medicare. Why not add Part E to it? But it would expand, span Medicare like well beyond um, its primary role, which is providing health to seniors and those with disabilities, and allow um, individuals to actually and businesses to actually um, open up and and buy into a Medicare coverage. So I think the likelihood of it passing in a GOP Congress is probably slim, but it was interesting to read about it just because the way that it is being um, rolled out has a very consumer-oriented feel to it in terms of its introduction. Maybe E stands for everyone. Well played, wow. Kristen. Wow. With that, 
I'm going to just tell you that this concludes today's High Five podcast. And we want to hear from you about today's episode or other topics that are on your mind. So please feel free to contact us at 267-930-4711 and share your message. And for any additional conversation about the work that we are doing in the healthcare industry or a deeper follow-up on how Vynamic might be able to assist you with your business initiatives, please contact us at high5atvynamic.com. That's hi5 at dynamic.com. And for links on anything that we talked about today, visit our episode's podcast description page. Until the next cast, have a great day.